This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Rava. This morning, we are going to continue with the on and off series that we started weeks ago. And today specifically, we are going to look at the freeing truth about eating Jesus' flesh and drinking His blood. Now, (laughs) if for any reason you think I am propagating cannibalism, no, that's not what we're doing. In actual fact, this is one of the most controversial statements that Jesus made. And it was more than a statement. It was a paragraph. I mean, he said a whole lot about it. You'll see in a moment. But it's one of the most controversial, one of the most radical, one of the most misunderstood, and one of the most sadly misused portions of Scripture. Uh, You know, just statements that Jesus made. And you'll see, I'll show you all that today. But praise God, when we look carefully and we let the Holy Spirit show us and we let the Bible interpret the Bible and we look at everything in context and we look at it through the lens of the finished work of the cross, you will see just what beautiful sense it makes, but also what a wonderful freeing truth Jesus actually shared with us. And so I know that you are here because you're a student of the Bible. You like to study the Word of God. You like to get those deeper nuggets. You like to get, you know, just what God has for us fresh from His Word. And I assure you today, you are going to enjoy this. Now, I know some of you may be saying, well, you know, I've already got the t-shirt, been there, done that. Well, you know, (laughs) there's always something. You know, I always approach the Word of God just with a heart of what else is God going to show me today? What else is going to come forth that is going to bless me about it? Amen. You know, I mean, I can tell you one of my favorite things to eat, and I try not to eat it too often just because of weight and health issues, but I love hamburgers. And I can assure you, I've lost count how many hamburgers I've eaten in my entire life. I haven't just eaten it one time. You know, I don't go to a burger place and say, well, you know, I've already had burgers. So being the dunder, got the t-shirt, don't eat any more burgers. No, I go back and I look for the burgers and I have to hold myself back sometimes not to order that hamburger just because I like them so much. Now, there's bad ones and there's good ones. But the point that I'm trying to make is, is that let's approach this hungry and let's receive what God has for us today. Amen. So the freeing truth about eating Jesus's flesh, can you imagine that, and drinking his blood. What craziness. And as you know, there are actually cults that take things like this literally and they go and do these things. I mean, I was watching a documentary series a while back, last year in actual fact, I think it was, uh, about uh, this one cult where they actually eat flesh and drink blood of, they say it was human beings, but they didn't show that on, on camera for obvious reasons. But my point is, is that, you know, Satanists, I know the, the Church of Satan, Satanism, they do that. They'll deny it, but they also at the same time are blatant about it. And so, you know, there's all kinds of weird things out there. But Jesus did actually say that we should eat his flesh and drink his blood. So unless you are eating his flesh and drinking his blood, you will see that you're actually missing out on something he provided for us. Now again, 
I think automatically someone is thinking, well, he was probably talking about communion, holy communion. Well, <laughs> he wasn't. And that's one of the ways that religion and many denominations have taken it to say that, and therefore they misunderstand it, and they've developed this whole doctrinal thing about it on, the, on that basis. And I'm going to show you today that that's not actually what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't talking about Holy Communion. He wasn't talking about the Eucharist, as, as you know we call it. He wasn't talking about that, even though it seems that way. Because, you know, when you think about Holy Communion, as we partook it earlier, we have the bread, which represents the body of Jesus, and we have the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus. And so we partake of the bread, so we eat it, and we partake of the juice, we drink it. And so most people assume, well, that's what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about communion, partaking of His body and His blood, which represents, you know, redemption in Jesus. And, uh, you know, off the bat, you think, well, yeah, that's probably what he was talking about. But I'm going to show you today that he wasn't. And then I'm going to show you what he was actually talking about. So I need to ask you once more, just stay focused. Follow me. Don't lose me. Okay, don't get distracted by anything. Don't sit there thinking about burgers just because I spoke about them. Because I made myself feel like wanting one too. And I'm probably going to go and get one after the fact. So let's wait for that. So don't think about the burger, okay? Think about the message this morning. Okay, so the freeing truth about eating uh, Jesus' flesh and drinking His blood. Let's read and begin in John chapter 6. And we are going to jump to several portions just for time's sake, but also to just zero in on what I have to share with you today. So John chapter 6, beginning with verse 51. Let's read 51 and 52. This is now Jesus speaking to His disciples, not just the twelve, but the whole bunch of them. He was speaking to a whole group, mostly of those who regarded themselves as His disciples. As you know, there were the twelve, which was the core, and then there were three within that core, but there were also 70 and 120. There was just, it kept on growing. <laughs> and so He was speaking to them all. And so watch what Jesus says about himself. He's, and watch specifically, look out for the bold text, the what I've emboldened there, so you can see. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. Interesting, isn't it? And this bread, which I, I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Right off the bat, Jesus makes a radical statement that you will see in a moment already started offending people, already started upsetting people, and they were trying to figure out what he was saying. Because in essence, he's saying, I came from heaven, I'm the bread from heaven, and if you eat me, I mean, the bread is my body, my flesh, and if you eat me, then you will live. So immediately people think, okay, so if we eat you, how are you going to help us beyond that? So it sounds like he was propagating or promoting cannibalism and he was offering himself as the first meal. I mean, it just sounds crazy, right? Then in verse 52, watch what happens. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. So they were trying to figure it out. And look at what they say. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So basically, 
they saw this as a literal situation. They didn't understand the spiritual truth behind it. They didn't understand beyond just literally what Jesus said. They just saw someone who said, I have come from heaven. I am bread from heaven. In other words, I'm food sent from God. And my flesh is that food. And so if you eat me, you will live. And so, yeah, I mean, that would have freaked anyone out. I mean, think about it for a moment. You know, when we read this, we read it knowing what we know. We know understanding communion, understanding the purpose of Jesus and why He came and what He did. But take all that away and put yourself in Jewish shoes during Jesus' time when He actually said this. Picture yourself amongst the crowd. Here you are watching this man who claims to be the Son of God, who's performed miracles. You started believing in Him. This is why you're following Him and you're listening to Him. And then he goes and he makes a radical statement like that. And he says, I am the bread from heaven and my flesh is that bread. So if you eat me, you will live. What would you do? Probably what these people did. You will try and argue first and see what he's saying. And then you'll say, how can he ask that? It sounds crazy. And then watch what happens as we continue in verse 53. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless, so here he goes, he's, you know, he's poked the needle. Now he's going to start turning the needle and poking it some more. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, in other words, the body of the Son of Man, and drink his blood. So now he adds his blood, drinking his blood to it. You cannot have eternal life within you. <clears throat> I mean, wow, that's pretty... Pretty, pretty radical, I'm sure you agree. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So by eating supposedly his body and drinking his blood, we end, we end up having eternal life. Pretty powerful. I mean, you know, I'm sure some thought twice. If they were thinking literally, they thought, how are we going to begin to do this? And I will raise that person at the last day, he says. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true, true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. Now, just for a moment, before we take that away, look carefully how many times it's emboldened, how many times he made a reference to eating his flesh and drinking his blood. There's a number of times that he said that just in that short paragraph there, right? So you can see that he wanted to make his point and he, was, he felt strong about it and he repeated it and he said it in different ways so that they would understand this is something that I didn't say by mistake the first time in my sentence. Even though he saw people getting upset, he saw them arguing, and he saw them questioning, how can this man tell us to do this? Then he adds his blood on top of that, and he thought, well, we might as well go all the way here. But you can see that the reason why Jesus shared that is because he knew what he meant, 
And he was so passionate about you and me and those listening to him, understanding this truth, because he knew that this truth would revolutionize their lives, change their hearts, change their lives forever, and they would receive eternal life. In other words, they would have the guarantee of being with God in heaven when this life is over, but also that they would have that life now and have the certainty that they are saved and redeemed and forgiven of all their sin. I mean, if that was, if that was, if Jesus, if you were Jesus, <laughs> you would have been just as passionate, hopefully. I know that I would, if I understood that and I knew what this could do for them, I would certainly like to think that I would do what Jesus did and just put myself out there, right? At the risk of being misunderstood, at the risk of being accused of, you know, promoting cannibalism and everything else and then putting myself up as the first meal. Imagine if someone took him real literal and decided to start eating him right there and then. I know that I'm getting a little pathetic here and, you know, started draining his blood so they could start drinking it like a vampire. I mean, this could be taken in a real weird, strange way. And then watch what happens. <laughs> and rightly so, I guess, because some just didn't understand. So watch what happens in verse 60 of that same chapter. Many of his disciples said, This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Look at that. So this isn't talking about just the twelve. This is talking about everyone who regarded themselves as his disciples. So it was men and women. And they all said at that point, I mean, they were excited up to that point. They saw the miracles. They were seeing just these wonderful signs and wonders. They were seeing the love of God through Jesus. I mean, just imagine how you and I would covet to see him in person. He lives in us. He's with us. So we have a way better relationship, right? But it must have just been so nice to tangibly, naturally have him there and see him. And so, but now he goes and he says this whole bunch of stuff about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And some of the people think, what is this? Where do we go with this? And then his disciples, those that were following him, began to say, this is hard. It's hard to accept. I don't, I don't know if I can do this. And then look what happens in verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. So there it is. Some just decided, no, this is too much. I'm not doing that. I didn't sign up for that. I'm done. He's telling me to eat him, to drink him, and I'm just not going to do that. Sorry. I think, he's, I think it's just a cult. I think he's gone off the rails. And there we go. Let's move on. And we'll try something else or whatever. And so the 12 didn't go. But many of the rest did. And this is what this is talking about. And in actual fact, we won't get into it. But just right after this, Jesus turns to the 12. And he says, do you want to go as well? So they literally walked out on Jesus right there and then. And he said, do you want to go as well? And that's when Peter says, where else can we go? You have the words of life. But anyway... And so, praise God that the twelve stayed. But that's what happened there. All because Jesus said, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You see, I think, <clears throat> or I'd like to think anyway, that if I was in the crowd, 
and I heard Jesus say that, I would raise my hand or I would find a way to get close to him so he can see me. And I would say, Jesus, can you explain what you mean by that? Can you tell us what you mean by that? Instead of just getting offended and just getting upset and following the crowd and leaving and turning my back on Jesus. I'd like to think that I would have done that because that's the kind of person I am. I have a tendency to do that. I'll just, if I don't get something, I'm not just, I'm not going to throw out the baby with the dirty bathwater just because the bathwater seems dirty. I'm going to raise my hand and say, what's going on? And so, <clears throat> but many of them didn't. They just decided we're going to leave and they left. And so you can see from that. I mean, again, like I said earlier, not knowing about the gospel, not knowing and understanding redemption in Jesus. You have to admit, it would be hard to understand and accept what Jesus said. So in some way, you can't blame these people, but at the same time, having seen all that they had seen and knowing Him as they knew Him up to that point, they should have asked. They should have waited until He qualified and He explained it. And sadly, they didn't. But then, <clears throat> we have to ask the question, what exactly did Jesus mean when he, said that, when he said that? And was he really suggesting cannibalism? Well, of course he wasn't. But we need to understand what he meant. And that's what we're going to do. Now, here's what happened along with that as time progressed. A prominent religious denomination derived what they call transubstantiation from that. From that portion that we've just read, there is a denomination, a large denomination worldwide. It's probably one of the biggest, most famous. You know, their, their head figures always on the news somewhere. But they derive a doctrine, a practice that they call transubstantiation from that. And they also refer to it as trans elementation or simply put it means transformation or change you know like one thing changes into another like a caterpillar changes into a butterfly that kind of transformation and so <clears throat> it is a doctrine that basically states this is what um, transubstantiation or trans elementation means it's basically a doctrine that says that the emblems of communion, in other words, the bread and the juice, it basically says that when you're about to partake of communion, that those emblems literally become the blood and flesh of Jesus. And when, a, when the priest makes certain declarations, generally in Latin, make those declarations over those emblems, that what actually happens is, is that even though the naked eye cannot see it and the tongue cannot taste any difference, what they say is that spiritually, supernaturally, it's a mystery, but what happens, they say, is, is that that bread actually becomes the flesh of Jesus and that juice, that wine, becomes literally the blood of Jesus. Now, here's the problem with that. That's not what the Bible teaches, and that's not what Jesus said would happen. But from that portion, that's what this denomination derives. 
And then <clears throat> on top of that, what they say is, is that the reason why it has to become the literal flesh and the literal blood, listen to this carefully, is because Jesus has to sacrifice himself again for that person at that point in time. So to them, every time they have this mass that they call, this practice of transubstantiation or elementation that they call, what happens is, is that when they declare those, make those declarations, even though the naked eye can't see it, the tongue cannot taste the difference, it's mysterious, but it happens. It literally becomes the flesh and the blood of Jesus, and then he's been sacrificed for that person's sins at that point in time all over again. And I mean, I'm sure listening to me, those of you who know the word and understand the word, you've already seen a number of holes in that doctrine. You've already seen a number of error in that doctrine, Look at it, looking at it from a biblical perspective. This is why that same denomination has additional text written into the actual Bible. This is why they have their own version of the Bible, because they add what is called the Apocrypha writings to it, and they are blended in all over the place, and there's additional books from the Apocrypha into it, and all of the doctrines and practices are mostly derived from the Apocrypha, which are not canonized God-inspired scripture. And so <clears throat> that's what happens there. Now, it's not that we're trying to attack anyone, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher. I need to teach the truth. And we love the people. We need to pray for everyone. We don't have it all either. And we hope other people are praying for us. But we cannot deny the fact. And so that's what this denomination has done from that portion we just read. When Jesus said that, they figured, well, that's what he meant and this is what's happening. So they connected it to communion or the Eucharist. And then they explained this is how it happens and why it happens. And so this is why many other denominations and believers around the world and throughout time reject this doctrine. Because number one, they know that it's not in Scripture. They know that it's not what Jesus meant. And so, and, and of course, the fact that they say it's a re-sacrifice of Jesus is what throws the whole thing off. Because that means that Jesus is dying for their sins over and over and over each time they partake of the Eucharist. So every time they serve communion or the Eucharist, Jesus is dying again for their sins. So it almost sounds like it's back to the old covenant way of, you know, the type and shadow of sacrificing animals. So can the blood of Jesus really take sin away if he's got to be sacrificed continually? And that's not the case. I mean, looking at Romans chapter 6, verse 10, the first part of that verse, for example, watch what it says. For in that he died, talking about Jesus, he died unto sin once. Some translations say once for all time, because that's what the original implies. And then, if we take a look at Hebrews 7, verse 27, I'm just giving you two out of many, but watch what it says. Who needeth not daily, see, it doesn't need to be done every day, often, as those high priests, talking about the old covenant high priests, to offer up a sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did, talking about Jesus, once, when he offered up himself. And this is just two of many scriptures that show us 
that Jesus only needed to sacrifice, him, sacrifice himself once. This is why he didn't need to keep on dying over and over, because his redemptive work was sufficient. The efficacy of his redemptive work was so powerful that it only needed to happen one time. And so that already shows us that this cannot be connected to Holy Communion if that's what they're implying and that's how some people are understanding this. So Jesus only needed to sacrifice himself once for sin. I've just shown you two out of many portions there. So clearly Jesus was not talking or making a reference, talking about or making a reference to the partaking of communion or communion itself. He wasn't talking about that. And I'm going to show you that now. So let me show you that. Firstly, let me say this. <clears throat> By comparing his flesh to food and his blood to drink, it shows us that he was talking about being sustained, but not sustained naturally or physically. He was talking about being sustained spiritually. Would you agree? I mean, he could have compared it or likened it to anything else. But yet, he specifically chose to compare his flesh with food so that they could understand and we could understand. And then he decided to compare his blood, the drinking of his blood, with um, <laughs> with drink, uh, with, um, what did I say? Yeah, with drink, you know, with liquid. So th that we consume to sustain us, so that the people there could actually connect the two like we should and say, okay, so this isn't more about his actual flesh and his actual blood than it is about what's going to happen to them both, his flesh and his blood, they're going to be sacrificed. But when we partake of it, because that's what we do when we eat, when we eat and we, when, when we drink, we are partaking of those substances, right? And so when we partake of those substances, we are going to be sustained spiritually. So really, he wasn't even talking about natural sustenance, because he likened it to the natural food and drink. So clearly that shows us that he was talking about spiritual sustenance, being sustained spiritually. That disconnects it from the natural realm. That means that he wasn't talking about being physically being eaten by people and you know people draining his blood and drinking it. It shows you that he wasn't talking about that. In actual fact, if you look at John, this is all from the same chapter, John 6 verse 55. Remember he said, it said this? He said, for my flesh is true food. See? And my blood is true drink. In other words, yes, you have the natural food and the natural drink. But if you, you, know, you are a spirit being, you're going to live forever in spirit, not in your flesh, because your flesh will die, it will decay eventually. And you need sustenance, you need to be sustained spiritually. And he said, and my flesh and my blood sustains you spiritually. That is the true food and the true drink that will sustain you forever and ever. That's in essence what he's saying there. And so... Um, his flesh and blood then will sustain us spiritually, is what he's saying. And in actual fact, if in the book of Corinthians, we see it talks about the Israelites in the wilderness. Remember that they were delivered out of Egypt from Egyptian bondage. 
and he led them to the promised land and they went through the wilderness and in that experience many different things happened and this is talking about that experience and watch what it says because remember God sustained them throughout their journey watch what it says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 3 and 4 from the Amplified Translation talking about the Israelites in the wilderness and all of them watch us ate the same spiritual food now you know that they ate manna from heaven which is a type of Jesus the body of Jesus the flesh of Jesus and it says that and it calls it spiritual food and you can look at it in the original it's there even the King James says it's spiritual food so it says that they ate spiritual food and all of them watches drank the same spiritual drink making a reference to when water came out of the rock you remember for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ so right there in this portion I wish I could elaborate more from this portion because you know the context is just so awesome but right there it shows us a type and a shadow of Jesus way back when the children of Israel were traveling to the promised land and God sustained them he gave them manna from heaven when there was no natural food to be found around and then when there was no water nothing to drink he caused a miracle and a rock he said to Moses speak to the rock and water came out of the rock and now it tells us that that was spiritual food and that was spiritual drink and it all represents Jesus and it sustained them spiritually is what it's saying because if it's spiritual food and drink then it sustains us spiritually so this is how they were sustained and so that shows us the fact that when Jesus said my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink he was basically paralleling it to this and it shows us that it's talking about him it's talking about spiritual sustenance and it's talking about it being Jesus himself so in other words <clears throat> the way natural food and drink play a vital role in our physical sustenance Jesus's flesh and blood plays or play a vital role in our spiritual sustenance but just to make sure that I drive the point home and, and explain it adequately there is another way to put that what Jesus said there and you could put it this way the way you depend on food and drink to keep you physically nourished is the way you depend on Jesus's flesh and blood to keep you spiritually nourished that's another way of putting it right I've just shown it all to you well let's go a little further now that we've clarified that let's look again at John 6 verse 35 from the King James's son watches and Jesus said unto them I am the bread of life watches now he's going to explain what that exactly that means I am the bread of life he says <clears throat> he that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst let's leave that there for a moment look at it real carefully notice by saying he that eats my flesh what Jesus actually meant or means is that he that comes to me because it tells it shows you right there right you see it right there he that comes to me and by saying he who drinks my blood what Jesus actually meant or means is he that believes on me because notice he says and Jesus said unto them 
I am the bread of life. And he said, that's his flesh that we are to eat. He that, then he says, he that cometh to me shall never hunger. What do we eat? His flesh, which means coming to him. And he that drinks my blood, he said, he says, will never thirst. And what is that? Believing on him. Do you see that? I want to make sure that you don't miss that because that's the key to understanding this portion here. He connects his flesh to coming to him and he connects his blood to believing on him. Amen. It's all part of the same portion right there. So basically, by coming to Jesus, our spiritual hunger is satisfied. And by believing on Jesus, our spiritual thirst is quenched. Do you see that? That's in essence what he was saying. So then we need to ask the questions. What exactly does it mean to come to Jesus? And what exactly does it mean to believe on Jesus? Because that's what we saw those two things mean. To eat his flesh means to come to him. I showed you that in that verse. And to drink his blood means to believe on Jesus. And so what does that mean? Well, think about this. When we go to someone, we go to them because we know we can depend on who they are. Isn't that true? When we need help, when we are looking for something, when we are looking to get help beyond what we can do, we go look for someone. You don't just look for anyone. You go to someone who can actually help you in that regard because of who they are. Correct? I mean, let's just talk about your vehicle. Let's say your car breaks down and you've tried to fix it. You've tried to look into it. You've covered the basics and you just cannot figure it out. What do you do? Who do you go to? Who do you look for? You go to a mechanic. And before you go to that mechanic, unless it's someone you know and you trust, you go and look at the reviews, right? To make sure that they have high ratings and that they are actually a good mechanic. And once you establish that, you go to them. Why? Because you know you can depend because of who they are. They're a mechanic with, good, with a good track record, right? And then also, you believe on someone because you know that you can rely on that person. And so once you've looked at it, you may have had done some work done by that mechanic before. You know them. You know that they're good. You know that they're affordable. And so what do you do? Well, you believe in them. And so you rely on that person because of what they've done for you in the past. Right? And so that's in essence what that means. Because Jesus himself explained it. To eat his flesh means to come to him. And to drink his blood means to believe on him. And so... You go to him because of who he is. And you believe on him because you rely on what he's done for you, specifically to redeem you. Are you with me? That's what Jesus was saying. That's the essence of what he was teaching in that portion. That's the core. And you know, to be quite honest with you, when you look at Hebrew phraseologies and uh, idioms and, you know, just ways that the language was used in his day, they would have understood clearly what he meant. If they really just paid attention and maybe just asked him to qualify it, which I'm sure he was about to do before they walked away. And so, but you can see from this, I've shown you from what he actually said himself in the context, what he, he actually explained what he meant when he said that. 
right there and then. And so, just to clarify, to come to Jesus means that we can depend on who He is, right? And to believe on Jesus means that we can rely on what He has done to redeem us. That is how we are spiritually sustained. Isn't that true? We are sustained because we know we can depend on Him because He is the Son of God. But He's also my Redeemer. And He went and sacrificed Himself for me so I can depend on Him. It's not just anyone. It's the Son of God who gave Himself for me and redeemed me. I can depend on Him. That's what it means to eat His flesh, to partake of what He's done for us physically. And then you can believe on Him because of what He's done for you. Just look at the redemptive work. Look at everything He went through and everything He suffered to get us forgiven of our sin and to redeem us. That track record alone proves to us how He loves us and all He did to redeem us. This is why we can believe on Him, and which means drink His blood. So can you connect those things to communion? Sure. But is that what Jesus was actually talking about? No. He was explaining a greater truth, which is come to me, believe on me, because what I'm going to do is going to set you free, but also it's going to sustain you spiritually. And isn't that what sustains us spiritually to this day and will forevermore? I mean, we are saved and redeemed because of what Jesus has done for us, because of who He is, right? And we are going to be in eternity in heaven with God because of who Jesus is and what He's done for us, right? So in essence, we are partaking of His flesh and we are partaking of His blood by doing that. Because those were phraseologies, those were idioms that He used to bring a greater point across. Amen? It is powerful, powerful. Now, look at John 6 verse 54 again. We looked at this. He said, it's, it's going to clarify and qualify what I just said. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. See that? In other words, they will be sustained spiritually forever. And I will raise him up at the last day. So even in this earthly life, they will be sustained by my flesh and my blood. In other words, by coming to me and believing in me. And because of that, they will also be raised up in this life and they will be with me and the Father forevermore. That's in essence what he's saying. Powerful stuff, isn't it? Praise God, praise God for that. And so what we see in that portion too is, is that eternal life is spiritual life. Isn't that true? <laughs> of course it is. And so here's another little interesting fact as we come to a closing here. The term flesh and blood is also an ancient Hebrew idiom, a phrase that was common, that was known, that was used, which refers to the totality of a person. Do you hear what I said? In other words, it refers to not just to who they are, but it also refers to what they have done to have credibility. So in other words, in the Hebrew language, the ancient Hebrew language, and they were still familiar with it then. When, you, when they used the term flesh and blood, they knew that what that term means is a person's totality. Not just who they are, 
but also what they've done. You know, today I think one of the phrases we use is, well, here he is in the flesh. Here she is in the flesh. What are you saying when you say that? The person is there literally in person, right? <laughs> well, that's kind of how you describe one of these things. So when someone said, well, here they are, flesh and blood, what they, mean, what they meant is, here's the person, not just based on who they are, but also what they have done. That's what that meant. And so they would have understood that if they just paid closer attention and listened carefully to what Jesus said, because he actually did explain it as I've shown you today. And so depending on Jesus and relying on his work of redemption is the same as eating his flesh and drinking his blood. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.